First Thessalonians is where we're going to find our reading tonight. I'm going to start on the Wednesday nights. We'll be working on this on Wednesday nights over the next several weeks, and I'm excited. I'm excited because the book of 1 Thessalonians, much like the, the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, are the two of Pauline's epistles who speak specifically about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are two comings of Christ. One, he comes for his own, and that's when the rapture of the church. And then he's going to come again, and he'll come with his own. And that is going to be at the conclusion, I believe, of the tribulation period. A lot of confusion, a lot of debate about that. Now, you can still, I think, for the most part, serve alongside someone who has a different, a different paradigm of this. But when I read the book of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, I kind of get excited thinking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it should not be something that you're afraid about. Uh, you'll see that when he talks about the coming of Christ, he says, comfort yourselves together with these things. He said, I don't want you to be upset about that. And you'll see that Jesus and the Old Testament prophets, they were talking uh, largely about what's going to come when Jesus comes back to, with his saints. And the nation of Israel in particular are going to have some real issues. It's not going to be a pretty scene. The Antichrist will be uh, at, uh, at, uh, at full, full throttle with all of his powers. Um, probably he will be, um, he'll, he'll not have the same restraint that he experiences right now, or Satan will not. He'll have the, the, uh, the, the problem in the temple there. In the last two and a half years, he is going to uh, really cause a lot of trouble. And that's when there's going to be the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with his saints in the battle of Armageddon, I believe. But the first coming is the rapture of the church. And that should be something that every Bible-believing Christian should anticipate with great anticipation. You should look forward to the coming of Christ. Just like you look forward to your loved one coming in from out of town. You can't wait for them to come. At Christmas time, oftentimes we had uh, Phil and Lydia uh, were coming up from Evansville and bringing the little Charlotte. We were happy. We couldn't wait. When is she going to get here? What? Everybody was asking. It was the buzz because our loved one was coming. We really didn't care about Phil and Lydia, but Charlotte was pretty good to have her. Just joking. But uh, we, were, we were anticipating their coming, and we ought to anticipate the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to be excited. He wants it to be a, a time of comfort, not a time of peril or difficulties. Now, I don't think there's much of the signs we have to look for for the coming of Christ. I think it, we, we live in a day, it's latter days, it's the last days, and perilous times are here. Men are lovers of their own selves, covetous, heady, high-minded, disobedient to parents. Uh, they have got tremendous selfishness going on in our society. We can see it all over the place. Sexual sins, silly women laden with sins, and all the things that God mentions in the book of 1 Timothy chapter, um, or 2 Timothy, excuse me, chapter number 3. Uh, and then, of course, searching sins, ever learning. Information is flying away faster as we can go, but people are still dumb as bricks. Uh, they, they, they can figure out, I think about, I think it was um, Buzz Aldrin that, that came back from the moon, and he, after he came back, he really struggled in his personal life. He lost his marriage, lost his kids, went to alcohol, and all kinds of, of just um, some deep and dark days. And one day in an interview, Someone asking, Mr. Osgren, uh, Ogren, Buzz Ogren, what, what was it that you learned? What's your number one lesson you learned while walking on the moon, being the first man to do that? He says, you know what I found out? I found out that we know how to teach someone to walk on the moon, but no one ever taught me how to live on the earth. 
And boy, that's the way this world is. They, think they might know a lot about a lot of things, but they don't know basic things that we know from the Scriptures. The entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. The book of 1 Thessalonians uh, is written to a group of new believers. Apostle Paul was probably only in town no more than a month. Three Sabbath days he came into Thessalonica from, uh, from uh, Philippi. He went to the synagogue first, and both, the, the both books and the, both of the, um, the cities that he wrote two books to is 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. The two churches were churches that had a heavy Jewish uh, population. They had synagogues, and he, when he went to, to Corinth, there was a large synagogue there with a large contingency of Jewish people, probably because uh, Caesar kicked them all out of Rome, and they had to be other places, and so they went to these locations. Philippi, as far as we know, did not even have a synagogue. They may not have had 10 families to make up a synagogue, and so he did find some Jewish people down by a body of water on the, on the, on the, uh, the Sabbath day with Lydia. And uh, there, but the two churches, they got two letters, is Corinth and Thessalonica, and they're the two churches that get the inside track on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we know that Jesus, Jesus told his disciples, I'm coming again for you. He said, if I go, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you can be also. But in the book of 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, he is speaking about the coming of Christ. And once again, he's going, to vow, he's going to go several times back and forth between his first coming and his second coming. And just for, for sake of clarity, the first time he comes, he's coming for his saints. Can you say that with me? The first time he's coming? Yeah. And is he going to come to the earth? No, we're going to meet the Lord in the air. And how long will we be with him? Forever. We'll be with the Lord. So the first time he comes for his saints, the second time he comes back, and Paul will reference that in the book of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, he's coming back with his saints seven years later after the tribulation period has come to, uh, to fruition. And so God is doing something, and I think he wants us to know. Now, these are not tenured Christians. These are new Christians that uh, had the basics. But Paul, while he was with them in that whole month's time, he talked to them about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to be excited about it. I want you to think about it. I think it changes Christianity when we are living in the expectation of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you want him to come, when you're ready for him to come, you'll live more pure. I think you'll be more passionate. You'll serve more with fervor. And we'll see that tonight, I think, in chapter 1. Let's hasten, if we can, please. I want you to look at verse number 3 for sake of review. What will you be remembered for? Notice what Paul remembered about them. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith. I don't know about you, but I would like to be known as someone who had a faith that worked. James says, you say you have faith? Well, show me your faith by your... It's, it's very un understandable and expected. If you're a child of God, you should live like a child of God. If, you live, if you're a child of God, you're a saved, blood-bought servant of Christ, you should serve the Lord. He said, you know what you're going to be remembered by? He said, I remember your work of faith. Number two, your labor of love. And what really changes a Christian's faithfulness and their labor is their love. I believe that love is the main key ingredient and the element in which true Christianity flourishes the greatest. 
whenever I meet with new believers or new, new visitors on Sunday morning, I'll tell them, I believe with our heart's desire in this church, in every service, we're trying to do three things on purpose. Exalt the, the Son of God, hear the Word of God, and share and feel the love of God with our friends that are here. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, he said, I want you to be rooted and grounded in love. I want you to know the breadth, the height, the length, the depth of the love of Christ. And I think here he says, number one, they're remembered because of their work of faith, their labor of love, and then their patience of hope. That may be where much of this particular book is going to rest upon, the patience of hope. Because they had been birthed out of great affliction. Their pastor who had taught them how to be saved was ran out of town within a month by lewd fellows of baser sort who, who made threats to him. His own convert said, Paul, you can't stay here. We got to get you out of town in the middle of the night and sent them away. And so their, their salvation came under much affliction and that affliction did not stop. It continued. Now, I, I don't know about you, but one thing I don't like, I don't like pain. Uh, someone said, I'm allergic to pain. <laughs> I don't like suffering. I don't like affliction. I don't like the word persecution. When the Bible says, yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus suffer persecution, um, I realize that we have brothers and sisters who are suffering as we speak right now, being tortured, hurt, abused, uh, as we speak right now for no other reason than they claim Christ as their Savior. Most of us do not have a clue about what persecution. We feel like if someone slams our door or says something bad to us, we try to give them a track, we've already, we've already, um, we've already suffered a big one. But uh, we have no clue. But these people were suffering. They were going through a difficult time, and the Apostle Paul tells them, you're going to be known. When I remember you, I remember your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope. Now, when you see the word hope in your Bible, it doesn't mean like, I hope I'm going to have filet mignon tomorrow. Okay. It's not like I hope it doesn't snow this winter, okay? Or I, I hope that the weather's good at the picnic next Saturday, okay? That's not the same word. Hope is a guarantee based upon God's revelation. It's something God said was going to happen. And that keeps us patient. And the word patient doesn't mean I'm just waiting. It means I'm persevering. One thing that we have a weakness in our day, and it's been a weakness through all society, and the apostle, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews said, you've got to consider Jesus who endured such contradiction of sinners, lest ye and I be weary and faint in our mind. One thing we're oftentimes weak in, the, the proverb says it, if you faint in the day of adversity, it's because your, your strength is small. One thing I don't want to do with my life, and you don't want to do, you don't want to quit. One of the reasons I love having Brother Lyons here is that for 93 years and, and uh, almost, uh, almost uh, 94 years, he's found, he's locked his horns to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he hasn't quit. He's lost his wife. He's lost some things that are valuable to him. He's gone through some difficult season, but he continues to hold on to the Scriptures, the Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and continue going on. And one thing that keeps a man continuing to go on to keep you going on through good times and bad times is a, is a deep, abiding trust in the Scriptures, in God's revealed Word, and an anticipation of the coming of Christ. 
It's interesting. I shared it this morning in Exit today, but uh, I think it's important that in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where it speaks of the coming of the Lord and how that the Bible says you'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, the, the Lord Jesus is going to come. At the end of that, because of the coming of Christ, he said, let's be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And here in this passage of scripture, you'll see the same admonition. Uh, because of the coming of Christ, at the conclusion of each of the five chapters of 1 Thessalonians, you'll find a reference to the coming of Christ. And Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, wanted these people to anticipate, to think about, to welcome the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. His first, the, uh, Titus calls it the blessed hope and glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. A rapture is not a Bible word. It's, it means to be caught up, and we see that. That word is mentioned several times in the Greek, or to be caught up. But rapture is not a Bible word, neither is trinity. You can't find the word trinity or rapture in the Bible, but we understand the concept. However, uh, the, the, the Bible term might be for the rapture, the blessed hope, something you're looking forward to. It's the glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. With that in mind, three things that you and I ought to be remembered for, our work of faith, our labor of love, and our patience of hope, our continued faithfulness, even through difficult times, because we have the revealed Word of God that tells us what's going on. Let's look, if we can, please, to the next passage, verse number, verse number 5. For our gospel came not unto you, and word only. I'll read verse 4. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. He says, as you, and I think when you speak about the election of God, you're speaking about your salvation. You have uh, chosen God. God's chosen you. It's speaking of salvation. He said, remember that you're saved. And then verse number 4. Our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Ghost and much assurance, as ye know what manner of men you are among you for your sakes. I want you to notice, first of all, what you'll be remembered for, which I've already shared that, our work of faith, labor of love, and patience, hope. But I want you to notice here the salvation of souls. Well, I, I don't know about you. I'd never want to be a part of First Baptist Church of Hammond if we don't see regularly people coming to know Jesus Christ. I'm not interested in it. I'm not interested in having ball games and, and men's softball and HB and CB and, and Hiles Anderson. And I'm not interested in having music. If we can't see people get saved. And this is what the Bible's talking about. I said, I want you to remember why you're saved and how you got saved. And what happened to people get saved? Number one, they had a pure gospel and they had pure goers that gave the gospel. Pure gospel and pure givers that gave the gospel. That's what he's going to say. He said, when we came to you, we, we came to you not just in word, but in power and the Holy Ghost. I, I wonder what kind of Christians and soul winners would be if we were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you're familiar with it, but you shall receive power. When? When the Holy Ghost has come. And you'll be witnesses. One of the reasons God fills us with His power, and one of the reasons you want to be filled with power, is so that you can make a significant impact eternally with the gospel of Jesus Christ, as pastors already mentioned to us already this evening. So he says, he says, he says I wanted you to notice, first of all, what you'll be remembered by. Number two, remember the blessings of salvation. And everyone who gets saved, gets saved because someone preached to you a pure gospel. I want to encourage you, when you're giving the gospel with people, be as clear as you possibly can be. 
Teenagers, as you get ready to train this week, whoever's training some of us, you give them purity. Help them understand this. Don't do this one, two, three, pray after me. You don't know what the hell do you. Well, just pray and ask God to save you. Listen, I, I think it's important that we have a pure, true, you don't have to trick someone to get them saved. Just, just give it to them truth. As a matter of fact, the more obstinate someone is, the more Bible I try to give them. Because they may not get saved at that moment, but I want them to, to go home with a Bible headache. I want them to know they just got hit upside the head with the gospel. And by the way, when you, when you preach the gospel, uh, uh, the Bible tells in Isaiah 55 that God's word, just as the rain comes down, the snow from heaven, and watereth the earth, and causes it to bring forth in bud, and it gives food to the, to the sower, it gives seed to the sower, and food to the eater, so shall my word be, that cometh down from God. He said, it will not return to me void, but it will accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. And you can be confident. Uh, don't be afraid of the gospel and the pure gospel, that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again, and only through Jesus we can have sins forgiven. Don't be afraid to mention sin and hell and the lake of fire. Take him to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14 and 15. Take him to Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 8, and don't be afraid to say lake of fire. Everlasting damnation. They shall not perish. Means to die the second time. Give it to them straight. Years ago, I wrote a song, and I like the song. And just give me sound doctrine. Give it to me straight. Tell me what the Bible says so I can live my life by faith. But the truth of the matter is, everybody needs to know what the Bible says. You're going to be offensive. It won't be you. It'll be the Word of God. But give it to them right. But we find a pure gospel, but we also find pure givers of the gospel. Look, if you would, please, in verse number 5 again. For our gospel came not unto you, he's speaking, but when he came to them, but also into power and the Holy Ghost and much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for. I want you to notice this, friend. Listen, it's very hard to be a faithful gospel witness when your life is a big lie. You and I need to have a good manner. That means our, our conduct needs to be pure. Every once in a while I meet someone, they're living just, they're, they, don't, they don't pay their bills on time. They're, they're, they're crooks. They're not, they're not faithful to, their, to their, their marriage vows and things of that nature. And boy, they want to preach here. They want to do this. They tell me about this, people. And I'm glad because the gospel, I mean, God used Samson for Pete's sake, right? He doesn't have anything to do but human beings. But the truth of the matter is, he said, one of the reasons you guys got saved was because he gave you a pure gospel with a pure life. You know what kind of manner we are. And if people don't trust you, they will not trust what you tell them. I'm telling you, whenever you are witnessing at, uh, at the restaurant after a meal, you better have conducted yourself in a Christ-like way while you've been there. Boy, someone who just gives, a, gives, the, gives the waitress a hard time or chews out this person. I deserve better I'm not going to pay this, all this money and I get this. And all of a sudden, don't give them a gospel track. And please don't tell them you're from First Baptist. If you want to witness to your neighbors, you better figure out how to, how to mow your lawn, paint your house, visit your neighbors when they're going through a difficult time. All those things are making, making deposits on, a, on, a, on a, a withdrawal. One day you're going to get time and opportunities to talk with them. If they don't trust you, they're not going to trust what you tell them. And I think Apostle Paul knew this very much. He rarely took a love offering from anybody he witnessed to or worked with. 
And I think one of the reasons he did it, he did not want people to get screwy regarding his motives. And he was very careful about that. I think there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible teaches, and Paul taught them. He lists those that preach the gospel ought to live of the gospel. He said, muzzle not the ox that treadeth out the corn. He said, if you've got a preacher or teacher that's taking care of you and laboring in word and doctrine, he said, well, compensate them. Take them. Don't let finances be an issue with them. But for him, he said, you know, I, I didn't want to do that because I knew how you guys were. At the same time, he did receive the gifts from the church at Philippi and other places. And he said, no church caught on to this like you did in Philippi. And, I, and I'm sure he appreciated that. But one of the things he was careful with, he goes, I know who I was dealing with. I was dealing with the Greek mind in these Grecian areas. And you guys think I'm in it for the money. And I'm not going to let you think that. So you know what kind of life that we live. He taught him how to work. Some people got so excited, and they got some bad messages. You'll see about this in the book of First, Second Thessalonians, that someone, probably a Jewish zealot, someone who was an adversary to the gospel, wrote a letter and signed Paul's name to it, that, that, the, that the Lord has already come back, and they're in the tribulation period. Wrote him a letter, and they read it, and they got all nervous. He had to write Second Thessalonians to correct the, the, the fraudulent letter. And, you know, I think it's very important to understand that, that churches and new Christians especially will be under attack by satanic means that will continue to work at them. But I love the thought here is that salvation was paramount. See, I want you to remember what it was to get you saved. It was a pure gospel with pure men who had good manners and behaved themselves, and together God put it together, and that's why you came to know the Lord as your Savior. Look at the next verse, verse number 6. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Ghost. I want you to notice here, number three, what will be remembered for people's salvation. Number three, devoted disciples. These guys, they were devoted. They became followers of us. Who was the us? Christ-like examples. Boy, uh, was it, what was this guy's name? Let's see. Oh, he wrote to Huckleberry. And what's his name? Mark Twain. He said, nothing aggravates me more than a good example. <laughs> and you know, you and I ought to be good examples. But after someone's saved, you don't just want them to be saved and that's it. Well, if you lead someone to Christ, you ought to know their name. You ought to write their name down. You ought to begin praying that God will help them. You ought to put them in your phone and you ought to contact them, send them a note. Sometimes people don't respond. I have about five people that I believe. I went through the gospel presentation. As far as I know, they believed and received the Lord. And, uh, but I have about 15 or 20 of them that, that, that do respond to me, and I call them, and, and I follow up with them. I send them material. Some live in Iowa. Some live in Georgia. Some live in Texas. Some people I've met on a plane someplace. But I probably have five people that they don't, they don't they, I think that they just, uh, they fell off the end of the earth. I can't, can't respond to them. They're not responding to me. But the truth of the matter is, I, I, I don't have to, I, I do my best to stay in touch with them. But if those people got saved, I don't want to leave them on the doorstep. I want to help them. I want to provide for them a Christian example to follow. He says, now you guys became followers of us and of the Lord. And by the way, you and the Lord, your testimony should be pretty synonymous, right? And I think they should be pretty similar. If we're going to follow, be godly like Christ, we need to follow. He said, you guys are good examples. And then I want you to notice the next thing real quickly. In verse number 6, he said, you received the word in much affliction. It wasn't an easy time when we were talking to you, and you accepted the word of God with joy and the Holy Ghost. 
devoted disciples follow the Christ-like examples of those around us. They do receive God's Word, which is key, and discipleship is important. Verse number 7, everyone read that out, would you please? So that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia, that from you sounded out the Word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but to every, also to every place your faith to God's Word is spread abroad, that ye, that we need not to speak anything. I want you to notice here that when you work and make disciples, you're going to find people that are looking to follow your example. They will receive the Word of God, and their testimony will make regional and global impact. This is one thing I want for a church. Now, I only had the chance to pastor this wonderful church. I'm amazed. I'm humbled. I, I just started crying this week thinking about that God would let me sit here with you and serve the Lord, and we're not doing all that out of a job, but I'm very thankful for this church. But the truth of the matter is, one thing I love about this church is that if you and I will do what God wants us to do and faithfully win the law, support finances, financial missions, and pray and give and be involved with WMS and minister to folks around the world and around this area, we'll have a global impact with the gospel. We're going to make friends all over the world for the eternity. And he said here about these folks, they followed us, they took in the gospel, and now your testimony is known in Achaia, which is over in Corinth, in Macedonia, which is where they are, and everywhere your testimony is known. One of the reasons why we want to be disciplined followers and we want to be discipling people is because you want your testimony to be known around the world, and that's what these people had. And I think part of it is because they were anticipating the coming of Jesus. Paul had taught, he pumped them up about it. He said, well, pastor, that's 2,000 years ago, and that Jesus didn't come. It was all for nothing. No, no, it, it elevated their life. It elevated their testimony. It elevated their witness. Let's conclude the chapter, can we please? In verse number 9, for they themselves show of us what manner in entering we had into you, how that you turn to God. Here's what their testimony was. They turned to God from idols. They repented. It was a testimony of repentance. They said, you know, we were doing this, now we're living for the Lord. And they didn't, it's not only a testimony of repentance, it was a testimony of service and serve the living and true God. Repentance and ministry. That's was something that goes out. Whenever you and I live holy lives, and by the way, there are idols going on in this room. We got idols in our home. We have idols in our heart all over this area. And some of our best people, you got the problem, and your pastor's got a problem. Is oftentimes we put other things in front of the Lord. And we have idols of our heart that need to fall. However, he says, what you're known for is the fact that you're so separated from idols to God. What you're known for is that you serve the living and true God. Your life is ministry. And then what you're known for, look at the last ver verse number 10. And to wait, you have anticipation. What are you waiting for? Read it with me, verse 10, everyone together. And to wait for his son from heaven. All right, so he says, and you know what you're known for? You're known for repentance and separation. You're known for, for service and ministry, and you're known for anticipating. You're waiting for the Son of God to come back from heaven, who already died, he rose again, 
And he's going to deliver us from the wrath to come. I think that speaks primarily about the tribulation period. And you'll see that throughout the scriptures where I feel like that God's people are not appointed to go through that time. I don't plan to be in the tribulation period, and I hope you don't either. And if you're saved, you won't be. According to verses like that, I think it's a great testimony. But I want you to notice real quickly, if I can, uh, say this. A couple things that happen because we anticipate the coming of Christ. Number one, when we anticipate the coming of Christ, we are provoked to be pure. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, it said, if, if you're the sons of God and you know he's coming back to get you, then purify yourself even as he is pure. How many remember when your mom and dad went off to the store and they told you they wanted a certain things done before you got, they got home? How many remember something like that happened to you? How many times that you weren't ready when it happened? And all of a sudden, there's a scurry going on and you're trying to get things done and there, there you can hear footsteps and you're like... We're so toast. This is awful. We're going to get killed on this one. Well, you know, the truth of the matter is, uh, we, when we are anticipating the coming of Christ, 1 John tells us, look, if you're going to see him shortly, then be pure like he's pure. Get rid of things you shouldn't have. Quit talking like an idiot. Quit spending all those head games and some of the social media and just wasting time. We've got to figure out what is important. What does God want us to do with our time? And say, you know what? If, if, if I'm going to see him shortly, and I anticipate the coming of Christ, I'm going to live pure. And then I think in the book of Titus, and I'll, I'll start on this on Wednesday night. Titus chapter 2. I would suggest you read this, beginning at verse 11 through the end of the chapter. Titus 2. Can I give you a homework assignment? Titus 2, verse 11 to the end of the chapter. It speaks about the grace of God that appeared to all men. And the grace of God doesn't just save us. It sets up a classroom in our heart. And then it causes us to look forward to the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. When people expect the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe they live much more soberly, much more godly in a wicked world. And they look forward to the coming of Christ. And I think there's great things we can learn from that. Let's pray together, can we?